Who do you say I am? And Father, we're here to declare today that Jesus is King. That Jesus is the Son of God. That Jesus is God in flesh. That Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And so, Lord, we're here today because of the great grace and mercy that's been shown to us. And yet, Lord, we know there are so many, so many around us, so many in this world, so many billions of people who, who don't know Christ and many who don't even have access to ever hearing the name of Jesus. So, Lord, we pray that today and through the work that you do by your spirit, through your word, that we would declare to everyone around us that Jesus is king. Pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Exodus chapter 32. I'm going to ask you to turn there if you would. It's one of the most well-known scenes in this story, walking through this story of redemption of the people of Israel being brought out of bondage in Egypt, being taken to the Holy Land. So after you get out of Egypt and the plagues and the Red Sea, this is probably one of those scenes that we remember. If you watched the old uh, movie, uh, the Ten Commandments, right? This is the moment where he comes down with the Ten Commandments and dashes them upon the rocks, right? This is that moment of the golden calf. It's that moment where we read it and we go, what were they thinking? And then we have to come to terms with the fact that they were thinking what we think. They were acting like we act. They were living like we live. And so just to remind you of where we are in the story, God has demonstrated his power greatly to redeem his people out of bondage. He has, through the plagues, delivered them. He's shown that every god of Egypt is a worthless god, that every idol that's worshipped in Egypt is powerless compared to God Almighty, compared to the Lord God. He's demonstrated that at the Red Sea as Pharaoh's army is coming after the people of Israel and God, through his through his power, parts the Red Sea, demonstrating his power over creation. He's shown the power to help the people persevere by providing for their every need in the wilderness. He now brings them to Mount Sinai, and he shows up in power in the cloud where there's thunder and lightning, and his booming voice comes out of the cloud, and the people have heard his law. They have heard, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt. You should have no other gods before me. Every person at the base of Mount Sinai has heard that. They heard it from the very mouth of God. And this is where we find ourselves. Exodus chapter 32. When the people saw that Moses delayed to come down. Remember, Moses went up one time, went up another time. Now he's up again. And this time it's the people said, we can't bear to hear from God anymore. You go up and you listen to him and you tell, him, tell us what he says. And we'll listen to you. So Moses is up on the mountain now hearing from God. And he's been up there for about 40 days. The people saw that Moses delayed to come down from the mountain. The people gathered themselves together to Aaron and said to him, Aaron was left in charge. They said to him, up, hey, Aaron, get to it. Make us gods who shall go before us. Remember, everywhere they went, God went before them in a pillar of fire or a pillar of cloud. He had gone before them through the Red Sea. And they say, make us gods who will go before us. As for this Moses, the man who brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. So Aaron said to them, take off the rings of gold that are in the ears of your wives, your sons, and 
your daughters and bring them to me. So all the people took off the rings of gold that were in their ears and brought them to Aaron. And he received the gold from their hand and fashioned it with a graving tool and made a golden calf. Every golden image that God had declared should be made for the tabernacle was not to be graven. God had said, make no graven image to worship. Everything was cast gold, but here he's graving a gold calf. He took a graving tool and made a golden calf. Then they said, these are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. I mean, right there, we just got to stop and go, what? They heard at the beginning of the Ten Commandments, I am the Lord your God who brought you up out of Egypt. And then they come back with, these are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. Verse 5, when Aaron saw this, he built an altar before it. When he heard what the people said, he built an altar. He said, I'll go with it. And Aaron made a proclamation and said, tomorrow shall be a feast to the Lord. They rose up early the next day and offered burnt offerings and brought peace offerings. And the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. They wanted this to be their God and they wanted it to be the Lord. They wanted this calf to be something they could worship. And so they rose up to play. They ate and drank and rose up to play. And that rose up to play, you can take every negative connotation of play and add it in there. They didn't play soccer. They ate a lot, they drank a lot, and they do what people did do that drink and eat a lot. Is everybody with me? That's what we're talking about. And the Lord said to Moses, verse 7, Go down for your people whom you brought up out of the land of Egypt have corrupted themselves. Parents in the room, that's your child. Anybody ever said it? Right? You look and say, you go tell your son. This is what happened. God has always said, you're my people. I brought you up out of the land of Egypt. Now he's like, your people, Moses, that you brought up out of Egypt, this is what they're doing. Verse 8. They have turned aside quickly out of the way that I commanded them. They have made for themselves a golden calf and have worshipped it and sacrificed to it and said, these are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. Hey, remember, God always hears you. And the Lord said to Moses, I have seen this people, and behold, it is a stiff-necked people. Now, therefore, let me alone, let my wrath, that my wrath may burn hot against them, and I may consume them in order that I may make a great nation of you. God still wants to do his plan, but he's now angry. It's not these people he wants to take into the land anymore. Verse 11, but Moses implored the Lord his God and said, O Lord, why does your wrath burn hot against your people? whom you have brought out of the land of Egypt with great power and with a mighty hand. Why should the Egyptians say with evil intent did he bring them out to kill them in the mountains and to consume them from the face of the earth? Turn from your burning anger and relent from this disaster against your people. Remember Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, your servants, to whom you swore by your own self and said to them, I will multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and all this land that I have promised I will give to your offspring and they shall inherit it forever. And the Lord relented from the disaster that he had spoken of bringing on his people. Then Moses turned and went down the mountain with the two tablets of the testimony in his hand. He's got the law in his hand written on both sides. Tablets that were written on both sides on the front and on the back they were written. The tablets were the work of God and the writing was the writing of God engraved on the tablets. We talk about having the word of God. He literally had the handwritten word of God in his hands. 
Verse 17, when Joshua heard the noise of the people as they shouted, he said to Moses, there's a noise of war in the camp. But he said, it's not the sound of shouting for victory or the sound of the cry of defeat, but the sound of singing that I hear. They were worshiping. And as soon as he came near the camp and saw the calf and the dancing, Moses' anger burned hot. And he threw the tablets out of his hands and broke them at the foot of the mountain. He took the calf that they had made and burned it with fire and ground it to powder and scattered it on the water and made the people of Israel drink it. My mom once washed my mouth out with soap, but nothing like that. And Moses said to Aaron, what did this people do to you that you have brought such a great sin upon them? And Aaron said, let not the anger of my Lord burn hot. You know the people that they are set on evil, for they said to me, make us gods who shall go before us. As for this Moses, the man who brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. All true so far. Verse 24, so I said to them, let any who have gold take it off. So they gave it to me, and I threw it into the fire, and poof, (laughs) out came this calf. Now you can just imagine in this moment, Moses is going, dude, you had time. You could have come up with a better story than that. (laughs) And when Moses saw that the people had broken loose, for Aaron had let them break loose to the derision of their enemies, then Moses stood in the gate of the camp and said, Who is on the Lord's side? Come to me. And all the sons of Levi gathered around him, and he said to them, Thus says the Lord God of Israel, Put your sword on your side, each of you, and go to and fro from gate to gate throughout the camp, and each of you kill his brother and his companion and his neighbor. And the sons of Levi did according to the word of Moses, and that day about 3,000 men of the people fell. Sin always costs something. And Moses said, Today you have been ordained for the service of the Lord, each one at the cost of his son and of his brother, so that he might bestow a blessing upon you this day. The next day Moses said to the people, You have sinned a great sin, and now I will go up to the Lord. Perhaps I can make atonement for your sin. So Moses returned to the Lord and said, Alas, this people have sinned a great sin. They have made for themselves gods of gold. But now, if you will forgive their sin. But if not, please blot me out of your book that you have written. Take me instead. The Lord said to Moses, Whoever has sinned against me, I will blot out of my book. But now go, lead the people to the place about which I have spoken to you. See, God used to lead them. Now he's saying, you go lead. Behold, my angel shall go before you. Used to be God himself. Nevertheless, in the day when I visit, I will visit their sin upon them. Then the Lord sent a plague on the people because they made the calf, the one that Aaron made. Moses is up on the mountain. Moses has heard from God. The people don't want to hear from God anymore. They can't handle it. They just want Moses to go take care of it because they're scared. Moses goes up and spends 40 days on the mountain. God is giving Moses his declaration of how he wants to be worshipped. Meanwhile, back at camp, right? You can kind of see that, right? It's the TV show, right? The TV show, Moses is up on the mountain, and then all of a sudden, meanwhile, back at camp. Meanwhile, back at camp, and the camp is at the base of the mountain, and God is on the mountain. And they stopped looking at the mountain, And they started looking in the camp. And they started living in the camp. They missed God on the mountain. And back at camp, the people come to Aaron, Moses' brother, and demand to worship. People are made to worship, and they say, we want to worship. So what happens next shows a lot about leadership or lack of leadership. A lot about our hearts 
and a lot about worship, a lot about what true worship is. First, just notice the lack of leadership here with Aaron. There's a lack of conviction in his leadership, a lack of conviction in his leadership. The people come to him and say, hey, make us gods. He could have said, look up there. That's all it took, right? All it would have taken is like, do you see God on the mountain? Make us gods. Hey, remember what God said? Don't make any gods. I'm God. That's all it took. But instead, the people came in, masked him and said, hey, up, do something for us. Make us a god. And hearing them, he actually fell into their way of thinking. His lack of conviction really led him to seek to please people. And that's going to happen all the time, whether it's in leadership or in your life. A lack of conviction will always lead us to seek to please people. Which means it will also lead us to never try to seek God and please God first. A lack of conviction will also lead us to not seek to please God first. And that's not Aaron's concern at this point. His concern isn't that he pleases the God who is on the mountain. His concern is that the people are happy with him. His concern is that the people are happy. I've never been accused, really, as a pastor of being one that's concerned with everybody being happy with me. (laughs) But there is a fear of man that lives in every leader and in every person. There's a fear in all of us that we want to be accepted and acceptable. We want people to like us, even if you say you don't care about that. And Aaron, in this moment, has all the people coming to him, not to Moses. And they're all saying, hey, do something for us. And in that lack of conviction, he seeks to please them instead of seeking to please God. How, how often is this true in churches these days? Churches are led by the idea of how you want to worship and how you like things to be as opposed to pleasing God. How, how much leadership in our nation and in our world is led by polling as opposed to conviction? How about your own home? I'm so thankful. This, this, this past week was anniversary of my, my mother's passing, and I say this every year. My mom was not my friend. My mom was my mom. And I am eternally grateful for that. We did not even get along. But I'm thankful I had a mom and not a friend. My mom did not run our house based on polling of the kids. My dad did not lead with an iron fist, but he also didn't lead limply with no conviction. And I'm thankful for that. See, a lack of conviction is never going to seek to please God first. It's going to be more about fearing man. The people in Aaron took their eyes off of the mountain where God was. They didn't seek that which was above. They set their hearts and their minds on things that were below. And when we do that, we're not living a life of conviction. There's also a lack of accountability when that happens. When we set our minds on things that are below, accountability lowers. Right? When we set our minds and our hearts on things that are above, accountability raises. When God is the authority, then we're also accountable to God. Is everybody with me on that? And here you see that in Aaron's leadership. There's a lack of accountability to God's word. God had already spoken. 
God had already spoken, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt. And whenever there's a lack of accountability to God's word, there's going to be a distortion. The lack of accountability to God's word leads to distortion. You start changing a little bit what God says. So they say, these are your gods who brought you out of Egypt. (laughs) A lack of accountability to God's glory and how great and awesome he is will always lead us to run after something that's lesser. Will lead to our destruction because where our hearts find their treasure is also where our hearts will find their destruction. We have to make sure what we're running after isn't going to fail us. And a lack of accountability to God's glory is going to lead to destruction. There's a destruction that starts with the destruction of God's word among the people. Think about that for just a second. The poignant moment, and it's almost just, it's like one verse and moving on. But God had handwritten his law on tablets of stone. And Moses is carrying them back down to the people. They had said, Moses, you go hear from God, and whatever he says, we will do. Number one, I am the Lord your God. You shall have no other gods before me. Number one, written in the handwriting of God, engraven on this stone. And Moses destroys it among the people as soon as the accountability to God's word leaves God's people. God's word leaves God's people. It's not by accident that the same churches and leaders who would lead by polling are also the churches and leaders who have walked away from God's word. There's a destruction that's happening here. A lack of accountability is going to lead to destruction. There's always going to be a cost for sin. The destruction, it spreads from there. And no matter matter how small the sin, there's going to be a cost, either to ourselves or to other people. There's always going to be a cost. But the larger the sin, the more heinous the sin, the larger the cost. And this is about as bad as it gets. At the mountain of God, with God on the mountain, worshiping a golden calf. 3,000 people died that day. A plague comes upon them. God disciplines his people through Moses. There's always going to be a cost for sin. A lack of accountability will also lead to blame shifting. Because we don't want the blame that comes with it. We don't want to take responsibility for our actions and for our sins if we're not accountable to god we're also not going to be accountable to one another we're going to start blame shifting look at what aaron does it's the funniest moment if there's a funny moment in this whole scene right well the people said they didn't know what had happened to you so i said well bring me all your gold they brought me my all their gold and i threw it in the fire and poof out comes a golden calf and then he says you know the people made me do it You know how evil the intentions of their heart are, Moses. And Moses knew because he had been dealing with them. And so here's Aaron who is responsible, culpable in all of this, and he's saying the people did it. A lack of accountability will always blame shift. But my favorite is it's not just the people did it, it's the fire did it. (laughs) We can't blame the people, at least I'll just blame the campfire. But I'm not going to blame myself. How often do we walk in that lack of accountability? There's an accountability to God's word and God's glory that's necessary for us as God's people if we're going to walk in the truth. But our hearts are prone to wander, prone to leave the God I love. That's what we sing. 
So next I want you to see the nature of the hearts of the people because this tells us about our own hearts outside of the mercy of God. Our hearts will naturally forget the grace of God. Our hearts will naturally forget that God has brought us so far. He's brought them out of bondage in Egypt and yet they keep carrying Egypt with them everywhere they go. Brought them through the Red Sea, yet they take something from the other side of the Red Sea to worship. He provides for them in every way, and yet they take something created and worship it. Our hearts will naturally forget the grace of God. The people are quick to return to the gods of Egypt, even though God has shown his power over them. Just think about this for a second. It did not take a generation for this to happen. It didn't take a hundred years. It took 40 days of taking their eyes off of God. 40 days. Is it possible that this past year has done one of two things in the hearts of believers? This past year is either exposed in the hearts of believers that they want to worship a God they can handle or they want to worship the God who handles COVID. It's a sad reality that it could be that God has exposed in our own hearts by showing up in power in the past year. Power that we don't want to recognize as his power, but maybe he's been working just to expose our hearts. That we don't want a God who's going to walk us through hardships. We'd rather have a God who's only going to let us tiptoe through the tulips. Is it possible that we've forgotten that his grace has what's gotten us this far? And his grace will lead us home. See, our hearts will naturally exchange God's glory for another. Give us gods that we can worship them. While God is on the mountain right there. While God is drawn near to his people. Our hearts will naturally seek our own glory. They'll seek the fun of life. They'll seek the comfort of life instead of God's glory. They like the idea of a feast. Have you noticed that? Like God commanded feasts. They were like, we'll take that one. We like that law. The feast. Let's go eat, drink, and have fun. The whole worship, the Lord your God only. We will naturally seek our own glory. We'll seek our own fun. We'll seek our own comfort. We want a God who's for us. Something we can make. Something we can manage. Something made in our image or in the image of something we control. And don't miss this. Left to ourselves, all people will worship something other than the one true living God. We'll worship something, but it will always be something other than the one true living God. Tony Marita put it this way. Idolatry is putting something or someone in the place of God. Idols are counterfeit gods. Anything you seek to give you what only Christ can give you, whether it's joy or security or peace or meaning or significance, identity, salvation, becomes an idol. Anything that you and I seek something from that only Christ is meant to give to us becomes an idol. So whether it's significance, joy, identity, meaning, salvation, peace, whatever it is, if we're seeking what only Christ is meant to give us in something else, that thing is an idol. 
And once we exchange the glory of God for a lesser image, once we exchange the creator for a creature, we corrupt worship. Our worship will not be true. And that corrupted worship will corrupt us. Once we exchange the glory of God for a lesser image, our worship is corrupted, which will corrupt us. So look next at what happens when we corrupt true worship. When we corrupt true worship, we corrupt all of life. When what changes, what, what, when, when we change what happens with worship, we change everything. Corrupt worship leads to a corrupt moral life. Look back at verses 6 and 7. Verses 6 and 7 tell us really plainly what's happening here. They rose up early the next day. You ever noticed how when you really want to do something, you'll get up early to do it? Fishing, hunting, 8.30 service. Yeah, I said it. I said it. They, they rose up early the next day and offered burnt offerings and brought peace offerings. And the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. And their play is corrupting. They're, play, they're not playing soccer. They're not playing football. They're playing. And in verse 7, the Lord said to Moses, Go down for your people whom you brought out of the land of Egypt have corrupted themselves and the party is so big that joshua thinks it's a war they're completely out of control because corrupt worship leads to a corrupt moral life sin problems are actually worship problems but corrupt worship also leads to a corrupt corrupt imitation think about it this way we become like what we worship so they started worshiping a golden calf which is spiritually lifeless. So they became spiritually lifeless. They began worshiping a golden calf, which is spiritually defiled. So they became spiritually defiled. Just look at the descriptions of how God describes the people. Look at, look at how he describes them as if they themselves are cattle. Look at verse 9. They're a stiff-necked people and stubborn. Anybody ever tried to turn a cow? Yeah. They're out of control, verse 25. He goes so far to say in verse 34 that they're going to have to be led like cattle. They've taken on the image of what they've worshipped. And when we worship what is spiritually lifeless, we will become spiritually lifeless. When we worship what is spiritually defiled, we become spiritually defiled. Look at verse 20. He took the calf that they had made and burned it with fire and ground it to powder and scattered it on the water and made the people of Israel drink it. There's your God. Become like your God. Romans 1 makes this clear that this is the problem with all humanity and we are lumped in there outside of Jesus Christ. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him. But they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God, the one on the mountain, for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things, the golden calf. Therefore, God gave them up in the lust of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves. They played because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. So how do we avoid this? 
How do we keep ourselves from this? As the people of God, how do we keep ourselves from falling into this idolatry? How do we learn from the sins of the Israelites? Because the Apostle Paul calls us in 1 Corinthians chapter 10 to learn from their lesson. He says this, Now these things, all the things that happened in the wilderness to the Israelites, took place as examples for us. They're, They're supposed to be the illustrations for us. That we might not desire evil as they did. Aaron said, you know the hearts of the people are evil. God said, the people are evil. Do not be idolaters as some of them were. As it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. He goes on in verses 11 through 14 in 1 Corinthians 10. Now these things happened to them as an example, but they were written down for our instruction so that we would learn on whom the end of the ages has come. This is for us. This story is here so we would learn. Therefore, let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed lest he fall. If you don't think you have a problem with this, take heed. Paul's warning here is, if you don't think idolatry is a problem in your life, you need to check for just a second your heart. You need to take heed. You need to listen. You need to pay attention. No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. What's he saying there? Everybody deals with this. But God is faithful, and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability, but with the temptation you will also provide the way of escape. What was the way of escape for the people there at Mount Sinai? Look at the mountain. Remember God. You don't need a golden calf. You've got the God of the universe. That you may be able to endure it. And then he says this, Therefore, my beloved, flee from idolatry. So how do we keep from falling? How do we keep from falling into this idolatry? First, we take heed. We take heed to what God has said and revealed about himself. We don't stand in our own strength. We remember that it's only by his grace that we stand. It's not our strength. I don't say I'm going to never fall into idolatry because I'm strong enough to not fall into idolatry. Well, guess what I am? My own idol. Now we remember that we stand by grace, not by our own strength. We flee, he says, from idolatry. And we worship God because as we worship God in Jesus Christ, we become more like who we worship. Be holy for I am holy. And as we worship God in Jesus Christ, we become like Christ. Like we read earlier in Colossians chapter 3, put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. Sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire and covetousness, which is idolatry. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. So believer, today, today is a day to put to death the idols of our hearts. Today is the day to put to death the idols of our hearts. It's also the day to stand, to stand in intercession for others. As we put to death the idols in our hearts, we're going to become more like Moses. See, Moses was not like the people down there worshiping. Moses goes back up on the mountain. Moses standing before God, and he's interceding on behalf of the people. He's saying, God, don't destroy them. They deserve it, I know, but God, don't destroy them. Believer, today is the day you put to death the idols of your heart and begin to pray for those who are running towards this destruction, running towards this idolatrous destruction. Moses interceded on behalf of the people. He, he said, Lord, Lord, don't let your wrath burn hot against them. Verse 11, Moses 
implored the Lord. When was the last time you implored the Lord on behalf of someone? He said, oh, Lord, why does your wrath burn hot against your people whom you have brought out of the land of Egypt? with great power and with a mighty hand. Why should the Egyptians say with evil intent did he bring them out? God, here Moses is, is pleading with God based on his love for the people. You brought them out of Egypt. He's pleading with God based on his mercy. He's pleading with God based on his grace. He's pleading with God based on his everlasting covenant. He goes, remember, verse 13, Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, your servants, you said, you swore by your name that you would give them this land and you would make them a great nation. Moses was interceding as God's chosen vessel of intercession for the people of Israel. Had Moses left God alone like God said, God said, leave me alone, let my anger burn hot. people would be destroyed. But God's sovereign choice of Moses in that interceding moment was that Moses would not leave God alone. That Moses would stand and say, Lord, because of who you are, because of your grace and mercy, I know they don't deserve it. But for your name's sake, don't destroy them. Folks, this is what it means. God's desire is to show mercy. His desire is to show mercy. And believer in Christ, you and I stand in the gap for a world of lost people that God loves to show mercy to. And they're embracing a worldliness. They're embracing false gods. They're embracing idolatry. Moses would go so far as to say, when he comes back up on the mountain, he says, maybe I can make atonement for your sins. I don't know. But he goes back up on the mountain. He says, here, God, oh, that you would show mercy. But if not, take me instead of them. Take me instead of them is what he says. He says, I'll be their substitute. But God doesn't take that. Why? Because Moses isn't a good enough substitute. There has to be a once for all substitute. And his name is Jesus. There has to be a perfect substitute. And Moses isn't perfect. I'm not perfect. I can't substitute myself for a lost world. But what I can do is I can intercede on behalf of a lost world, remembering that judgment comes from God, but mercy comes from God too. And folks, I'm just going to say this. You take it however you want because it's just kind of the way I, do, I roll. Okay, I'm going to say this, and you're going to have to take it however you want. We as believers in America are spending a whole lot of time wishing God's judgment would fall instead of God's mercy. And our job is to intercede on behalf of a lost and dying world that God would show mercy because mercy is the only hope anybody has. When God shows up in judgment and justice, it is not going to be a good day. But when God shows up in mercy... Mercy is the only hope our world has. See, there are consequences to sin, and the consequences to sin are hard. But God desires to show mercy. He is a merciful God. He is rich in that steadfast love. God desires to show mercy, and mercy for sinners means that sin has got to be destroyed. Here's what you need to know. Destruction of sin is coming. Judgment is coming. And every human being who has ever lived and will ever live will either stand in judgment before God based on their own righteousness and have no hope or stand based on Christ's righteousness and have eternal hope. 
Every human being that has ever lived and will ever live will have the wrath of God poured out on their sin to destroy that sin. And it's either going to be they're going to have to deal with it for eternity or Jesus dealt with it at the cross. As a substitute for us. And so, believer, our job is now to pray that every plague that comes would remind people the mercy of God. It could have been worse. It should have been worse. Every 3,000 people that are killed is also, it could have been worse. It should have been worse. And mercy is the only hope we have. So we need to be praying. You need to be praying this Thursday as a church. You need to sign up for a half hour and start praying for your neighbors. Start praying for our national leaders. Start praying for our local leaders that we would see people take responsibility for their sins and repent of their sins. Take responsibility for their separation from God. To take responsibility for their actions of rebellion. To take responsibility for the works of their hands and how they worship the things that they make. To turn from identifying with those things and turn to identifying with the one true God. To look at the mountain. See the one who has come to his people. We need to be praying that the wrath of God would turn. That people would trust Jesus because his wrath has been poured out once and for all on Jesus. And then the wrath of God will turn. His discipline and punishment will be felt for the moment because every sin comes with a cost. But our goal is to see people repent and believe. Not to change their behavior, but to repent and believe. To come to worship the one true God. And so if you're listening today, if you're watching online or you're here today, and you have not come to faith in the one true God through Jesus Christ, if you are worshiping life, enjoying the play if you've not repented of your sin, your idolatry, if you haven't trusted in the one true living God shown to us in Jesus Christ, today you need to know something and then you need to respond. You need to know that you have people praying for you. We are committing to pray for our neighbors, to pray for the nations, to pray for those who need Christ. You have people praying for God to show mercy to you. And you need mercy. And you need to cry out, for mercy to God through Jesus Christ. Because every single one of us deserves the judgment of God for our sins. But you also need to know that our prayers can't save you. No matter how hard we pray. No matter how great our prayers are. No matter how many words we know. Our prayers can't save you. We can't substitute ourselves for you. Moses tried. Only a perfect substitute will do. And Jesus is that perfect substitute. The substitute that Moses couldn't be for the people of Israel. The substitute that we can't be for you. You need to trust Jesus who God sent down to us in the middle of our sinful revelry. In the middle of our eating and drinking and playing. Our worshiping false gods. And he showed us the one true God. And he took the punishment for our sins upon himself. Believer. Cry out for mercy for the people around us. Today, if you've heard of this merciful Savior, cry out for mercy to the one who can give mercy. In the name of Jesus.
He is worthy to be worshipped. And we get to call him Father when by grace he shows mercy to us. What a great gift. Father, I pray now that as we close this time together, we would be a people who would declare that mercy has been shown to us. We didn't deserve it. We would also be a people that would declare mercy to the people around us. That we would pray for mercy. That we would show them the merciful Savior. And that Jesus Christ would be made much of in our lives. Lord, help us to commit to stand in the gap for those who need mercy. And cry out to the one who has shown us great mercy. That's how we know that you'll be worshipped and praised. Adored and glorified. 